Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said. I'm a host of New Books in East European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm delighted to speak today with Andrei Kushnir about his book, Epic Journey, Life and Times of Vasil Kushnir, which was published by Academic Studies Press in 2020. Andrei Kushnir is an American fine art painter. He's known for his landscapes, city views and seascapes, but also has created genre, portraits and still life works. The artist's works are in the permanent collections of the U.S. Coast Guard, District of Columbia's Commission of Arts and Humanities, University of Maryland, University College, Maryland, Museum of Florida's Art and Culture, Avon Park, Florida, Virginia Historical Society, Richmond, Virginia, the University Club, Washington, D.C., and Presidents of the United States and Ukraine. Before we discuss your story, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Natalia. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I I came to write this book uh, through a long journey. In a way, uh, it goes back to uh, Chicago, where I grew up. But uh, my my original training was a, a professional training was as a as an attorney. However, I was always uh, interested in art, and going back to my earliest uh, memories in school. I was the kid who, whose pictures the teachers would hang up and uh, on the walls and, oh. and that sort of thing. Not always a good thing <laughs> with the other kids, especially in a, a, a kind of a tough neighborhood in Chicago where I grew up in. But anyway, uh, so I had these two kind of interests. Uh, to one extent, I am interested in everything. I love music. I, uh, I, I, I love art. I'm also interested in history and politics. And, of course, my Ukrainian background was very prominent, being a first-generation uh, immigrant from, uh, not from Ukraine, but from Germany. Uh, I was born, actually, in a displaced persons camp in Regensburg, Germany. My parents both had been taken as slave laborers by the Germans to uh, work in, in uh, basically, farm work in, in Germany. Uh, they met in the camp, and I was born there. My brother was born there also. My father uh, was a... a um, <laughs> his story is really... It's, it's interesting in that uh, he did something while he was the slave laborer. He had an opportunity to take a correspondence course, and he was always interested in automobile engines. <laughs> and so he learned how, to, uh, how an engine works and what its parts were just down to the you know smallest uh, detail and that served him very well after the war when he latched down with the americans and uh, knew how engines worked and dri- driving was no problem for him so he he uh, got a job uh, as a, uh, a driver for the army and i think back then 
these services all traded with each other. So if you're a driver for the army, you did it for the UN and for for, for the relief organizations, the ambulances and that sort of thing. Anyway, um, we uh, we came to the United States and growing up, uh, <clears throat> my parents always encouraged me to, to go into something practical, such mm-hmm. as being a lawyer or a doctor or that sort of thing. And the legal thing seemed to be the closest to what uh, interested me, uh, although medical things were interesting. But the, uh, however, I had a side uh, thing uh, of, of art, and which didn't really uh, come into flower until after I had gotten married. And um, I started, my wife had a paint box from uh, her high school days which she gave me, had a bunch of oil paints in it, and I started painting, uh, and I really learned to love it. I also lo- learned to love being outside, and so it, the, the, the painting and the outdoors thing came, came together. Uh, in the meantime, I had progressed and gotten a law degree from uh, Howard University here in Washington, D.C., and uh, I latched on as a, 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 an attorney with the Federal Aviation Administration and then later jumped to the Department of the Navy Office of General Counsel. Um, the legal work was, uh, you, you might think it might be boring, but I fell into a, the area of government contracts. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting things that happen in the world of government contracts. Uh, I did some litigation. Um, was able to travel quite a bit uh, doing doing this kind of work. And at one time, I was the uh, legal counsel for the Naval Sport, uh, 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 Naval Supply Depot in Yokosuka, Japan, for a couple of years. And uh, by that time, I was painting. And I did some painting. I never did some plein air painting in Japan, because uh, I didn't really get into that until I, we got back. But... Uh, the, uh, the so the the legal part of me was one part, and then the painting part was the other part, and I actually found that the one helped the other. You learn things as a as as a lawyer about putting things together, and you make I, w- I want to say making an argument, but it's kind of the same thing in the in in the pictorial sense where you have a general uh, subject, and then you have the supporting elements and that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, I fortunately, or well, it could have been unfortunately, but the legal, the activity, the Navy activity that I was with, the Naval uh, uh, Space and Naval Warfare Systems Command moved to San Diego, and I was able to uh, leave early, retire early uh, at the age of 50, and with the permission of my my wife, uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh she said, "You know, you've you're you're painting and you talk about it all the time. Why don't you use this as an opportunity to jump into a uh, what you really want to do? What what? And so I did. I I jumped full into it, and I was fairly lucky. Uh, uh, within a couple of years after uh, swimming around in the art world, I got into a gallery here in Washington D.C." Where whose owner Michelle Taylor was also an artist, and she saw my drive and she helped me transition to painting larger uh, paintings. And, and uh, I 
the thoughts of design and color and that sort of thing. And I found that uh, the the parts of my life that dealt with the legal uh, 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 profession really helped me in keeping records, keeping track of things uh, the, in the business aspect, but also helped with the artistic parts. So they, the both of them kind of progressed together. And ultimately, uh, I was able to uh, enter into a lot of uh, competitions, art uh, shows and such, and uh, slowly began a career as, as an artist. Through that, uh, uh, I ended up uh, owning a couple of art galleries. I still own one here in Washington, D.C., American Painting Fine Art. But uh, the first two were uh, as business partner with Michelle Taylor, who kind of knew the ropes of the art world. And I was kind of the detail guy since I knew about keeping records and that sort of thing. And uh, we ended up with uh, one gallery in Ellicott City and another in Manhattan, actually in the Ukrainian village, uh-huh. uh, which was a, a, a great uh, accomplishment as far as I was concerned. <laughs> I was there. And uh, in fact, our gallery faced uh, Tarashuchenko uh, place right uh, a few doors down from the Ukrainian Museum, and uh, it was very comfortable. Um, I still lived here. Uh, uh, my business partner, Michelle, moved up to New York, and she lived actually in the building where the gallery was. And uh, we were there for five years until the downturn happened, in mm. which everything kind of fell apart. Uh, plus, Cooper Union, which was right across the street from us, decided to build this new building and uh, it just became impossible to, to do business there for, for a few years. Mm-hmm. In which case, she ended up moving back across the country and I had to close the gallery. I still keep some contacts in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, 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 at the same time, I opened a shop here in Washington, D.C. And that's where my, my art is uh, uh, shown primarily. And uh, uh, where I have a little office and a gallery. And, and so it's, it's, it's good. In the meantime, my parents, uh, who were living in Chicago, uh, in the actually Chicago area, they moved to a little suburb called Palatine, and they had a couple of um, acres there. My uh, my father really got into beekeeping, which his father did as as a uh, back in Ukraine. Um, and so they also had, it's, it was probably, a, a, a Ukrainian immigrant's dream come true. They had a huge, uh, garden, uh, and, uh, a kitchen garden. They grew everything. And they also had fruit trees, uh, uh, raspberries, strawberries, every kind of tomato, every vegetable you can think of, um, plenty of flowers. And they, they did uh, sell some uh, honey and uh, produce like that. Ultimately, they ended up moving to Florida uh, as they got a little older and they wanted to be in a, a bit of a better climate. In the meantime, I'm kind of progressing, uh, uh, trying to progress the story uh, in a unified way. But in the meantime, you know, you grow up in, 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 a, in a household where your parents primarily speak Ukrainian, um, and, and 
you hear these stories and the stories just keep coming. Um, and to some extent it's in one ear and out the other. You're, you're in, uh, you're in a different world from what they're in. And, uh, but I, but being the eldest of the family and closest and remembering actually being in Germany, very, very poorly, but I do remember a little bit of it. And, um, you, you, you feel a little closer. I, I know that my brother Anatoly and, and myself uh, seem to be a little bit more uh, receptive to the Ukrainian uh, immigrant experience. My sister and younger brother, uh, my sister Nadia and younger brother Volodya are uh, much more uh, uh, integrated into the uh, American culture. I, I think, although they, they're both real dogmatic Ukrainians as well. So it's, uh, uh, their attitudes are just slightly different from, from Tony's and mine. Um, but my father uh, had this almost, uh, I don't want to say cross the bear. He, he, his family had gone through some horrific experiences. Members had been sent to Siberia, other places. In, 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 in the Soviet Russian Empire uh, and um, he, you know these things were always on his mind and uh, at one point he was talking about well I'm, I, I need to get this out of out of my system I, I need to tell somebody my story and he had checked around uh, about uh, finding maybe someone who might uh, record these things or this sort of uh, idea. Ultimately, it occurred to me. Actually, I I learned, and he showed me a, a bunch of things that he had. He had a lot of postcards, which blew my mind. These were cards that his father had sent to him while he was a slave laborer in Germany from Ukraine. Said, How could this be? And he said, "Well, they had a very efficient post postal system. You you bought." a card that was attached to another card and you filled out yours and you put your return address on it and such and you sent it to them. Then when they got it, they filled out their part and they sent it back to you and to, to the system you were able to get. So he doesn't have the cards that he sent to them, but he does have their cards to him, which I, I found very fascinating. He also had a postcard that he received from his uncle Danilo who had been sent also to Siberia, and then this—it's really worthy of a movie. They, after the, they they were building bunkers against the Japanese for the Soviet Union, and when they built these, finished building the bunkers, the the conscripts in these camps had to take the bunkers apart. They loaded them on trains and transported them back through Moscow and up to the Arctic Circle. The uh, I didn't even know there was a country called Komi, K-O-M-I. Uh, actually, there's websites with them now. And in fact, I found some YouTube videos of some of the uh, 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 step logs, the, the camps that uh, ex existed up there. There were uh, the people who made them were either imprisoned in them. Anyhow, my 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 uncle was with a group that was building 
bridges over the Yanisei River, which is apparently one of the longest rivers in the world. Uh, and But up there, he had said that um, the vegetation was so stunted, you couldn't even cut a tree that would be as high as an axe hand, as, as a, uh, not axe, as an axle. Um, so anyhow, he was up there and they lost track of him up there. But my father had these, these, these documents. And interestingly, I recently came across the book that he actually learned about automobile engines oh, really? that he got <laughs> while he was in Germany. He still, he had all these things. And he was always interested in photography. And so he took a gazillion pictures and they were all in little canisters. But once I got into this project, I, I decided, you know, the lawyer part of me thought, well, geez, there's all this evidence. This is, these aren't just stories. Yeah. These just aren't someone's memories that might be wrong, that might be exaggerated. There's, there's some documentary evidence here. So I, I assigned my father a task. I said, you know, I'll do this darn thing, but uh, you got to help me out. Um, how about writing some of this stuff down? Because, and he just went right to it. And he wrote, I don't know, 30, 40 pages in tiny little Ukrainian writing, mostly stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, one sentence going a page or two pages long, <laughs> um, which then I realized. If I'm going to do this, it, I'd, I'd have to really to understand it, to translate it. So this is one of these things that took, I don't know, 15 years to over a period of time. Just my part of it. Uh, and I'm glad that he did it early on because toward the end, the last couple of years of his life, there were some holes that needed to be in his narrative. And I asked him, I, I would write questions out to him, and I said, can you just respond to these questions? Well, his responses were not very satisfactory. He would just start repeating what he had written before. The, 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 the good thing was, uh, they were down in Florida, and my brother Wally, who lived with them, would hear, the, hear them from, from him. And so I very carefully uh, worked through Wally to find out whether... The, the, the stories changed over time, whether they were different from what I got. And darn, it was, this, it was the same thing. It's not like he memorized the same words, but he would go over the same details with him. So I, I had a pretty good uh, feeling that uh, what I was getting at was close to, to what really happened. And with the various documents, uh, I felt pretty comfortable in putting together a, a narrative about it. Once I got into the narrative, I thought, geez, I am so lucky uh, that I started this thing because it was much more complex. There were many more parts to it than I would have ever uh, imagined. I spent a week down in Florida with my father, just actually on the same computer. I, I made I scans of, of the postcards that he had gotten from his parents, and we went through every postcard. And, you know, because the writing was faded, so I'd, we'd have to blow it up. And together we put, pasted them together, you know, figured out what, what they said. Um, and in some cases, I mean, he had, I guess when he was in, in, in Germany in, in, working for the farmer, he would get these, these cards and he could understand them right then. But this is 50, 60 years later. 
looking at them, couldn't remember some of these things. Um, but together, we were able to piece uh, mostly what was said there. Some some of it was had been blacked out by sensors and such. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a fascinating. It was a detective kind of a job. Mm-hmm. So that's how the book kind of came into being, and uh, uh, it, it's the the book is totally something different from everything else that I've been doing for the last uh, twenty almost thirty years since I uh, left the Navy because. Everything else has been related to my art projects, and I've had a number of them apart from the galleries. I um, undertook a project about 12, 13 years ago to paint the entire Shenandoah Valley. Uh, you need a lot of paint if you're going to paint a whole valley. Uh, but uh, I, I fell in with a, with a, with a, a, a group of people including some scholars and people who lived in the valley and uh, geographers and publishers and such who guided me to places that were of historical and cultural interest in the valley. And of course, for an artist, you, you can't get much better than to have to go out there and stand in some beautiful field or in some little village and uh, do a painting of a scene. So in a way, the paintings kind of are a, a bit like the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tell a story. They 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 have context. They uh, and they um, so really. When I think of it, I'm kind of doing the same thing in both in, with both uh, both of these projects, uh, the book and, and the Shenandoah thing. And I also, when we were up in New York, I painted a lot in the East Village. I've got a group of paintings there. I'm working on another book. Of the, the paintings uh, of the East Village and what it was like back then. It's now ten years since since that that shop closed down, but we were there when when there were still things going on like CBGB, you know, the the the, the club, uh, the Amato Opera, uh, the the Surma Bookshop, uh, which has closed since then, and uh, so that's uh, in a way I've. Uh, I'm very fortunate uh, that I've uh, been able to use both the the, the uh, legal part, uh, legal mind part of it, and and the art, uh, the uh, the part that relates to uh, trying to uh, capture something, uh, uh, an emotion mainly uh, of what the scene is like. Mm-hmm. The story that you describe is very difficult to read because it triggers uh, deep and intense emotions. And at times, it reads like a movie plot because it's so difficult to believe that one person had to live through all those atrocities that you mentioned. I'm wondering, what was the triggering point for this project? What made you want to share your father's story with the audience and with the public? Well, you know, if... It's an evolving thing. I guess it's sort of like life itself. Uh, but, you know, in, in a way, I, c- I can apply the same ideas. You know, my father was, was sort of the main thrust of the, the main subject of the story. Uh, just in, in a, as in a painting, you, you would have the main subject of the painting. And all of these other elements are supportive of it. But it ha- in, in order for it to be... To, it has to be co- cohesive, and it has to make sense altogether. And so, 
you know, if, 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 if you're an attorney and you have someone on the stand and they're telling you and, and you're asking them about various uh, facts, the, 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 other, the, the other side is going to try to poke holes in their story and find inconsistencies or uh, falsehoods and that sort of thing. And that's the part that I try to work hardest on. Uh, and I, as, as I mentioned when I was uh, talking about it generally, uh, I tried to probe as much as I could. And some parts of it, you know, uh, I, I sharpened up, no question. My, uh, you know, it, just a simple thing like, you know, I, you know, he kept talking about Novabubnivka, the, the town, the, the, the village that he grew up. So I think, well, this wasn't in his original telling of it. So I said, well, what was the town like? What, who were the people there? What, how, how did it get the name? Uh, you know, that, these kind of things. Now, so, you know, how it got the name, I didn't go back to authorities in Ukraine and question them. Well, uh, give me the genealogy of the name of this thing. I, I took it on, on faith. But certain things, for instance, he's, his understanding was he thought that his, his grandfather, the one who had been executed by, by, by the Czechists, was, had been a serf. Well, you know, after I put the story into chronological order, I found that he was born after serfdom ended. So he couldn't have been a serf. So I said that. So then my father says, well, he was, I know he was very poor. And in, in fact, his wife, Yarina, who was uh, my great-grandmother, um, she's the, she actually lived throughout this whole thing longer than anybody. Mm-hmm. She was, the, she was the, the anchor for this thing. So when, when his father and mother were taken to prison, to, to Siberia and to Mariupol, uh, uh, he lived with his grandmother, with Yarena, and his uncle, Danilo, lived with Yarena. And then, uh, uh, apparently, uh, I, I asked my father, now how did they let her, you know, they, they, they killed her husband, how did they let her live? He goes, well, you know, they, she came from an extremely poor family, and she was like an untouchable, even to, to the communists. Uh, they, re- <laughs> the, the, the more uh, downtrodden you were, the greater you were elevated with respect. And so she somehow was able to, to survive, even though members of her family were shot and, you know, beaten, tortured, sent did this kind of thing. Uh, she, she persevered through all this, all these things going through her. And she ended up dying in Ukraine. I guess it was in the 60s. My grandmother lived with her. Uh, she was apparently 96 when she died. Uh, so she, her, her life was slightly longer than my father's. But she had, you know, her life goes back to the previous century. Uh, so anyway, the story sort of un- unfolded. The original, the initial part that got me interested was when when these Czechists came and and and, and shot my my great grandfather in front of his family, and that was my father's initial I don't want to say origin story, but it that's kind of the thing that prompted 
uh, all these things. And so when I'm when I'm tracing through this, I notice that that's kind of the the fact that that my grandfather was in the Pagura army that became a stain on everything, everything from that point on. Mm-hmm. And no matter what amnesties were 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 proclaimed or what other uh, corrective things people try to do, once you had that stain, no, you couldn't get rid of it in, in that society. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was uh, this, this, my my duty. I felt was to cross check as much of the stories as I can, make sure that there weren't agencies. The other thing I wanted to I, I do want to mention is I made a conscious decision to do this in English because and I had given this uh, 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 story to several people to 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 read before I sent it to the publisher. And in each case, I was told, you know, I never knew this. You know, it, uh, all I knew about what was happening in communist time was from Dr. Zhivago. You know, oh. <laughs> yeah. that's and that's basically the level on which most people understand what life is there. And of course, you know, Ukraine was kind of a closed place. No one could go there, even if you were Ukrainian. And, and you know, it was sort of like uh, Chernobyl. <laughs> It was it was a black hole and no information about the whole the war about anything could could escape from there. So um, the idea was well, here was an interesting story that covered a long period of time. Uh, a lot of has a lot of hooks in it to other things that uh, if if it was just put forth simply. Uh, and convincingly, in a kind of an unadorned way. I'm not a professional writer. Uh, there, there, there aren't a lot of adjectives in this. I tried to put this, put it together using my father's words as much as I could, but you know, his words sometimes ran on and on and on. So you, you had to, you had to kind of uh, herd it all together, uh, and. Uh, try to tell it in a linear fashion, like you said, uh, you know, with the start, beginning, and end. And there, I'll, I'll make no excuses for it. The, the thrust of the whole book is about the first two-thirds of it. Mm-hmm. The last third, my part, you know, from the time we came to the United States, actually the early Chicago days were, were pretty, I thought, were interesting. But after that, it's kind of just, I just have to finish it, get to to the present. That's that's what I felt. So you you notice there's a lot more pictures, photos there to, to just show what life was like in a, a Ukrainian immigrant's family. And, and I'm sure if we were Brazilian or Italian or whatever, it would be there would be a version of the same thing probably mm-hmm. from what I've heard from what other people have uh, described to me. The thrust of it was that first two-thirds of, 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 the, of the book. Mm-hmm. Your father was sent to Germany uh, during the Second uh, World War, but um, after the Second World War, he did everything he uh, could uh, to not return back to Ukraine, which was under the Soviet rule at that moment. Uh, then uh, he ended up in the United States, and I would say from that point on, um, he it, it, his story turned into a story of 
success probably to some extent. He was able to find a good job and it took him just a couple of years to start making money and your family was able to afford things which for uh, many Ukrainians at that moment um, were luxuries, cars, private properties, houses. Um, but um, I'm um, wondering what memory of his motherland your father wanted to share with you, what memory about his motherland he wanted to transmit. You did mention the fact that um, when you were in Chicago, you went to the uh, St. Volodymyr Cathedral School where you uh, learned the Ukrainian language and where you probably also learned something about Ukrainian culture and history. However, I'm more interested in those personal stories and those personal memories that your father uh, wanted to share with you. And um, how did your father want you to remember Ukraine? You know, he... But that's a very good question because it's interesting. His whole life in Ukraine was during that time was had all these hardships, had these these incidents where he was ridiculed, where 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 he was didn't you know you were very careful at every step because anything you could say could be used against you. That was his memory of Ukraine, you know. And yet he loved the place, and so so it's kind of a, a an interesting uh, uh, set of facts that that a person who came from a background in a in a place that was not very pleasant could have such a drive and a um, a, a a feeling of warmth for that for that place uh, and and. You know, uh, my father and mother spoke as one. In our in our family, you couldn't use the one against the other, as so often happens uh, in more modern contexts. But uh, there, you know, my mother was totally supportive, and he was supportive of her. And you know, the the, the community, and I think most Ukrainian communities. Uh, in the United States, you know, there, I just recently saw the, the the little movie called Folk about Ukrainian folk dancing. Uh, they're kind of lost in I don't want to say a time warp, but they they dwell on the the the, the positive aspects of the culture, not the political situation that that existed there uh, back in Ukraine. Uh, so. It, within the, the church and the Ukrainian schools, they would teach you the geography and the history uh, uh, of, of the people. And uh, so you got, and of course, all your closest friends were Ukrainian, uh, had American friends as well. But the, the folks, the, the ones from church uh, and from the, the Ukrainian organizations, those were the ones that you... You know, of course, your parents approved of them and they liked them because they could understand uh, them and they knew their parents. So it's it's not a, a situation like here where your kids go to school and they're they're rubbing elbows with you don't know who. And that's not a bad thing in, in a way. It's a very worldly thing. 
it's not insular and it's not provincial, uh, uh, which our experience was much more. Uh, but yet, it, it, it is an interesting observation that the thing, uh, your your question that that he his feelings for the culture overcame uh, his revulsion of what was happening there uh, 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 by the by the, the in the political realm in, in, in the country. Did your father have a chance to go to Ukraine after 1991? Yeah, yeah well, he, uh, once Ukraine proclaimed uh, its freedom, uh, my brother and I got involved in, in a, uh, it's a separate story that could possibly be a little movie, too. <laughs> uh, a bunch of people who wanted to improve airports in, in Ukraine, first cave airport, and then we, our biggest uh, project was, the Kharkiv airport, Ukraine's second largest city. And uh, so my brother and I had gone there a couple of times and we talked to my parents about this. And they said, well, you know, my father says, I want to go back and see what it, you know, and go uh, see, see what it's like. And so back, I think it was around 93 or 94, they went back together. And toward the end of the book, there's some pictures about it and he describes what they saw. They, they, they took a trip on the Strila, the the boat that goes to Shevchenko's, uh, uh, where, uh, uh, where he's buried, uh, and uh, they visited Kiev. And fortunately, my wife had been in a student exchange program, and she knew a, a, a principal of a Ukrainian school who, when they were in Kiev, helped them a lot. In fact, I don't know if they may have stayed with her or, or this guy. She, she, she took care of them. But they went back. This is interesting. This is in the book, but they went back to the village where to Novobubnika to visit it. And some of this information I got more from my mother than my father, because my father was very, you know, well, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to tell them, you know, how wrong they were and, you know, <laughs> look look at us, we're, we're, we're now, we're, you know, this kind of thing. And my mother said, you better watch out, you better watch out. So as they were, as they were, uh, they had somebody, who, uh, a, a relative or a friend who was driving them into the village, and there was some man walking on the road. And my father asked the guy, the driver, to stop. And he, uh, he says, hey, listen, uh, I'm going uh, there uh, uh, to, to move up. That's where my parents were. And my, you know, my grandfather was, was uh, killed by the communists there. And uh, you know, I'm I'm going to go try to find his grave, and you know, we're we're now from America, stuff. And he said this guy was that they stopped was a very aggressive, hard line. I don't know what, but he says, well, you better watch out because the same thing's going to happen to you. <laughs> and, she, and my mother said from that time on, my pop was very uh, quiet about uh, uh, his background and, and that sort of thing because. Recognizing that just just as in this country, it's still the civil war is still being fought in many places. Back there, there are a lot of people who who are crying over the fact of the downfall of communism and how good things were then, and now everything's uncertain. And, and so, it's memory. Memory is a funny thing, you know. It. Uh, it, it, it glows uh, uh, often when it shouldn't be glowing. 
so in a way, my father's uh, situation kind of preserved an outlook that uh, is at odds with reality in contemporary Ukraine. And of course, since the, the two, 2014 revolution, there's another uh, changeover flow of, of feelings and uh, uh, acceptance of a national identity which had been submerged during, during the, the communist era. Mm-hmm. Uh, you speak Ukrainian, and you also mentioned that some of your uh, family members also speak Ukrainian. But uh, I'm wondering what other, so to speak, Ukrainian things um, you preserve or you uh, keep in your household, maybe Ukrainian food or Ukrainian holidays. My, uh, my wife makes uh, the absolute, her borscht is as good as my mom's. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> and it's vegetarian, you oh. know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, she makes all the Ukrainian, you know, varanikia, the, the whole, she can do everything else. And it's not that anybody, she just loves it. Music, we have a huge CD collection and we've gone to concerts. I'm fortunate being in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. the Ukraine is here. And at one, at one time, um, I had an exhibit at the Virginia Historical Society down in Richmond. And by a really uh, uh, fortunate set of circumstances, the Voice of America, uh, the uh, Slavko Novitsky, who was a, a Ukrainian film producer who worked for the Voice of America, made a little uh, five-minute program about the exhibit, which was actually then shown in Ukraine. And I found that after that happened, the people in the embassy, all, all of a sudden, you know, I got calls, I got invitations to everything. I was a bigger star in Ukraine than I ever was here. It, it was kind of, it, 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 it was funny, but um, I have very warm relations with, with the embassy of Ukraine. Uh, I also, you know, I'm a member of our church here, St. Vilgrimet. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm talking about Chicago, St. Andrew, uh, Ukraine Orthodox Church. Um my my wife's family is from Toronto area in a, in Canada, and there her I think her nephew married a lady from Ukraine, and there they have a little baby, and uh, so every there, there's there's still these big broad connections uh, with uh, all of the all of my parents' kids. There there were four of us had married other Ukrainian uh, Americans uh, here. Now, that's not true of our kids. For some reason, maybe we, you know, see, it was just too much. I don't know what it is, but but it's fine. Everybody accepts it. Everybody knows that this is our heritage, our culture, where we come from. And it's a good culture. You know, that's one of the things I'm proud of. You know, Ukraine, the, the nation never... Uh, attacked anyone, never enslaved anyone, never, I mean, throughout history, uh, we were the slaves, you know, so in a way, we were, uh, it, it's it's got a, a very uh, good record, um, and uh, right now there's a lot of very positive things going on, there's a great dialogue be- going on between the Ukrainians 
and the Jewish uh, community in Ukraine and in general. And, 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 and the Poles are, are, from the time of independence, have been our biggest supporters. You know, uh, it, the, the countries around Ukraine seem to be very supportive, other than our neighborhood, our neighbor to the north. You know, uh, and, and, and in fact, it, it's a sad situation because, you know, the, the Russian people are, are, are great people also. Uh, they, they just uh, have leaders who, who pick at the things that uh, you know, are very divisive uh, and uh, have a kind of megalomaniac kind of sort of attitude about, about. But in general, we're, we're um, within the, our household, we speak English, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I was in Ukraine for a week at a time back in the 90s, you wouldn't believe how good my Ukrainian became. I could, I even was thinking in Ukrainian, and uh, it, it's just the usage is, is what determines things. But on the other hand, you know, I realize I'm in the United States. I, I'm an American. I uh, I play the banjo. Mm-hmm. I play, you know, I, I, I like American music. Actually, I like American music as much as I like Ukrainian music. Ukrainian music to me is often very sad. And, uh, uh, but, but it's very dear as well. Uh, so that's kind of the, around rounded out picture. Did you have a chance to paint when you were in Ukraine, for example, the views of the Dnipro River? Uh, you know, I didn't paint. I, I was there. It was such an intense experience with the project that we were trying to put together. But I took a lot of pictures and I have done some, I have painted uh, uh, from one of my, uh, a couple of my photos of picture of Vladimir over the Dnipro. Mm-hmm. I actually also here in Washington, I've painted the Shevchenko monument a number of times. I painted the Ukrainian Institute in New York. I painted the Ukrainian uh, paintings of the Ukrainian embassy a couple of times. Uh, one of them actually was, was uh, purchased by the staff of Ambassador Shamshuk from Ukraine uh, as, as a present for him. Uh, so I I, you know, I'm, I'm just as happy to paint, uh, uh, do a painting of uh, a Ukrainian subject here as I am of the Shenandoah Valley. It's, it's another subject and it's another uh, something to, to be able to uh, try to uh, exercise my, my, my creativity against. Thank you so much for your book, which provides this very insightful um, insightful perspectives uh, on some personal stories on some personal histories. Uh, but as I already mentioned, this story is not entirely personal because ooh, you, you took it uh, to a different level, to the level of um, uh, stories that emerge between the nations and between the states. Now, on the one hand, this story does provide this very personal uh, insight on how we probably establish our relationships with people uh, with whom we share uh, one story, one history, uh, one geography, one space. Um, The book uh, is very hard to read, and uh, at times probably one will have to take a break because all those atrocities that you describe uh, really 
make one uh, makes one make one think um, how difficult it is uh, to live through all those tragedies. However, what I admire actually about your father's story is that um, he was able to somehow um, um, somehow survive uh, and um, built his new life in the United States. Well, thank you so much for your moving book. Thank you, Natalia. Thanks for having me. Today I spoke with Andrei Kushnir, author of Epic Journey, Life and Times of Vasil Kushnir, which was published by Academic Studies Press in 2020. Thank you for listening to New Books in East European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. <laughs>